Good morning, friends. I want to read to you the glorious story of that first Easter morning from Luke 24, but would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for this story of resurrection. Thank you that it testifies to this great truth that today is not just about the resurrection of a single man many years ago, but it is about the power and the possibility of resurrection in our lives, even today. And we even dare to hope the resurrection of this death-scarred world when your new creation comes. We pray now that as we hear these words, this beautiful story, that it would be more than a story from us, that your spirit would meet us here today and that we would hear these words freshly and that we would respond to them with obedience, with faith, and with love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. On the first day of the week, friends, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, must be crucified, and on the third day must be raised again. And they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to the, all the others. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna. It was Mary, the mother of James, and the others who with them told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Friends, he is risen. He is risen. And this is where you got your belt. Hallelujah. Friends, I got the biggest one I could find. Um, we, we have longed uh, to say these words together. We, we have yearned to say them um, throughout the 40 days of Lent. And, and I'm telling you, especially because this is one of those unusual years in which all the Orthodox and Catholic and Protestant calendars align. Literally, brothers and sisters in every nation under heaven, from, from, from the plains of, of Africa to the cathedrals of Europe to the streets of Brazil to the prisons of Iran, we together are proclaiming this great truth that Christ who died now lives again. Christ who died now lives again. And however, or whatever, whatever brought you here today, I, we're, God has brought you here. And this is, this, this is an opportunity for us to learn together this glorious mystery of what happened on Easter. I want to give you three simple words today, just three simple words. These words are this, has, is, and will. Has, is, and will. In the way that Luke tells this story, what he intends to communicate to you is that this event, this Easter morning event, is far more than just about a singular event that happened 2,000 years ago. But in this singular event, all of history is contained. All of history is bound up in this resurrection. That when we see and hear this story, what we see is that the resurrection has happened. It is happening, and it will happen. Past present and future. Today is about all of history. Will you turn to your neighbor and say, did you know today is about all of history? 
Would you just turn to your neighbor and say that? It is. It is, friends. That's what today is about. And so let's, let's, let's look at that together. Let's just begin by looking at the past, what has happened. Let's look at this text. Let's take it seriously. It, we, we read that early Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb with the spices that they had prepared. Now, what were they doing? I'll tell you what they were doing. They were going to honor the dead body of Jesus and make his corpse smell better. That's what they were doing. They believed he was dead. They, they had not even the faintest idea that he might be risen from the dead. They were not thinking, oh, let's bring these spices just in case he's still dead. No, friends. They went to treat a corpse. They were completely unsuspecting of the resurrection. And the same with the men. You see, they hear the message from the angels. They run to the men. They tell them what's happened. And what do the men say? Oh, right. We knew this would happen. Jesus did it. No. They think the women are delusional. They think they're nuts. They're crazy. And so what I want you to see is that all these people, every one of them, could not wrap their minds around this. They were confused. They were bewildered. They could not believe what they heard. Why? Do you know why? Because, listen carefully, in the first century, dead people stayed dead. (laughs) Very clear in the text. People were just as unlikely to rise from the dead in the first century as they are in the 21st. We have made a lot of progress across those centuries. <laughs> Death is not one of them. It's still one per person. There's still not much doing around that. There is no evolution. There is no progress when it comes to death. I think sometimes we suffer from what C.S. Lewis calls chronological snobbery. Chronological snobbery. And that's where we basically say, oh, look, these people, they lived 2,000 years ago. They were, gull- they were so much more gullible. They were so much more superstitious. They believed in things like miracles and mysterious supernatural things happen. But we are people of progress. We're people of science. Uh, we, we know the way the world works. And so when we come and we show up at a big event like this for Easter and we say, Jesus is alive. You know, just like, like, the, like the people in Memphis say that Elvis is alive. What we mean, of course, what we know, we all know we mean is that his spirit is alive. The inspirational, ongoing presence of Jesus is alive. That's what we mean, right? Um, Marcus Borg, who is a New Testament scholar who actually gave the Feinstein lectures at University of Richmond just across the way a couple years ago. I read an article this week by him, and this is what he said. The truth of Easter has nothing to do with whether the tomb was empty on that particular morning 2,000 years ago or whether anything happened to the corpse of Jesus, the truth of Easter is grounded in the experience of Jesus as a living spiritual reality. Is that what we're saying? We're talking about Easter. I want to be plain with you, friends. Please hear me on this. But I want to say as plainly as I know how to say that it is the witness of the entire New Testament and the entire scriptures in the entire historic global church. With all due respect, Mr. Borg, he is wrong. That what the reason why The New Testament writers are spilling so much expensive ancient ink, recounting every little detail, describing exactly who the women were, their names, the precise details of this event, that Paul recounts over 500 people who witnessed the risen Christ, is because they insisted that despite anything they personally ever expected, this literally, historically, actually happened. And it's like they are reaching out to us across time. They're saying, look, we were just as doubtful. We were just as skeptical. We were just as unlikely to think that a man could walk out of the grave alive. But despite all of our doubts, despite all of our skepticism, despite the fact that nothing in our cultural or religious worldview prepared us to believe this, it happened. We saw him. And they believed. I love what N.T. Wright says. He says, the only reasonable explanation 
The only reasonable explanation for how a group of skeptical, unsuspecting, demoralized group of Jews could have been transformed overnight into a powerful movement that willingly went to their death and changed the course of history. The only reasonable explanation for this is that the resurrection of Jesus actually happened. Why, why am I making such a big deal out of this? A couple of reasons. One, because, look, I don't know why you're here. You might be here because there's no place you'd rather be. You might be here for the donuts. I think we ran out. Um, at least those people out there are eating them right now, so you better hurry. I don't know why you're here, but here's what I want you to hear, is that I know that some of you, I know that some of you struggle whether this is actually true. I do. I struggle. I have struggled with doubts and wrestle with what I believe every week. But what I want you to see is you, have, you are in good company. The people, the, the, I mean, these are some of the guys who wrote the Bible. Christians are not people who are more gullible than other people or who are more prone to superstition. There are people like you who struggle, who wrestle, who have doubts, who re- wrestled about whether this is really true. And Christians are people who have wrestled with the evidence and believe, despite their own doubt, that all of the support shows this, that Jesus rose from the dead. That there is no other reasonable explanation. And so I just want, if you're in that position, I want you to consider this today. Today's a good day to believe this. The other reason why this is a big deal is because, frankly, there are a lot of inspirational people of the past that are worth admiring. Some of my favorites are Dr. Martin Luther King, Bishop Oscar Romero, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. These are great people who have done incredible things, have died heroic deaths, standing up for what they believe, and they continue to inspire us and give us courage today. And frankly, friends, if you do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus, you can treat Jesus like one of them, an inspirational person of the past. You can appreciate his example. You can apply some of his teaching to his life. Frankly, you can ignore the teaching of his that makes you feel uncomfortable, like loving your enemies, giving your money away. I mean, who wants to do that stuff, right? You certainly do not have to make him the center of your life. I mean, I admire Diedrich Bonhoeffer. I do not live for Diedrich Bonhoeffer. I do not center my life around him. And yet, if this is true, if Jesus truly has walked out from the grave, then this is what it means. You cannot set him aside. You cannot pick and choose from his teaching. You cannot choose what you listen to and what you ignore. You can't make him one inspirational figure among many. You can't make him anything but the center of your life because a person who rises from the grave and shows total power over death itself is a person who has proven his divine authority and you have to do something with that person. To listen to him, he demands a response. And that's really why it comes down to this. Did the resurrection really happen? Yes or no? And I'm telling you that billions of people, lots of people in this room here and now, believe that it did. And based on that historical fact, they have lost their lives. They're sitting and rotting in a prison right now. They, they have taken on pain and suffering and sacrifice. They have walked into torture. They have given away everything. They have moved across ocean, mountain, and river. They have abandoned life and limb, been banished from their own families. Why would anyone do this? Not for an example of the past, but for a man who walked from the grave. Friends, it has happened. Love's redeeming work is done. Fought the fight, the battle won. This is a fact of the past. Jesus has risen. So that's the first thing we see. Second, though, we see the resurrection is happening. What do I mean by that? What I mean is this, that Jesus is risen from the dead, and he is actively at work right now in the lives of men and women, boys and girls, to bring about his resurrection power in our lives. Look at verse 7 with me. He says, the, son, the angel says, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinners 
he must be crucified on the third day and be raised again. Isn't that word must striking? Must. The angel is saying, Jesus didn't die accidentally. He didn't die a tragic death. And God was able to, oh, I'll better fix that resurrection. He didn't, wasn't making up for a tragic death, that the death was the plan. He must die. The cross was the mission. He didn't die as a martyr or as an example. His death was the mission. He died to be punished for our sin. He, he died to defeat evil, to forgive transgression. He died to roll back the power of death and then to rise from the dead to open the way for new resurrected life for anyone in everyone who believes in him. This is why Paul says this in Romans 6. He says that we were therefore buried with Jesus through baptism. That's what happens when someone believes in Jesus. They become a Christian. They're baptized. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, you too, we too may live a new life. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying the good news is that for those who trust in Jesus, even now, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is available to you and can rise you to new life along with him. If you've been around uh, at Third for a while, you know that I've often related to you my ongoing war with the siding on my house. Uh, in 2005, my wife Sarah and I bought an old house uh, and, and it had the original wooden siding and we decided we would just keep the siding and paint it. We painted it two years later, all the paints popped off. Painted again, all the paints popped off. We, we end up discovering there's a problem behind the walls. There's a ventilation b- problem. And so paint will never stick to this house. We just keep on painting and it keeps on peeling. Eventually, we decided to just give up. A little, a little bit ago, uh, a city inspector showed up at my house to give me a citation. I said, why are you giving me a citation? He said, because your house is ugly. I said, you are kidding me. There are two or three abandoned houses on my street and you're giving me a citation. He said, yeah, your house is uglier than theirs. So here's the good news, friends. I have an announcement to make. Ten months ago, we tore all that wooden siding off that wall, of those walls, and we got this glorious, new, pre-tinted, concrete, hardy plank siding, and it is glorious. I mean, I just, sometimes I just sit in my front lawn and I look at it. It is beautiful. Because I'm telling you, friends, what that house needed was not a paint job. It needed a resurrection. And this is what Scripture is saying that, you know, I think sometimes people can get confused, especially when you come to church not every so often, and you think that religion is just about sort of getting a paint job, really, like putting on, you know, we we dress up real nice, and God wants to help us have some sort of uh, moral reformation, clean up our lives a little bit. No, friends. Scripture does not say you need a moral reformation. It says you need death and resurrection. You need to be united to Jesus and be risen to new life with him. Amy's story, is that not remarkable? How could a little girl growing up in a home in which she experienced abuse and neglect grow up and not only be personally healed from that abuse, but then extend forgiveness to the one who abused her and then break the power of abuse in her bloodline? How could that happen? The resurrection of Jesus. And I have this amazing privilege as a pastor. One of the greatest privileges of my life is that I get to see this every week. I get to see the power of the resurrection at work in the lives of men and women and boys and girls. I have seen addicts find sobriety. I have seen liars learn to tell the truth. I have seen people enslaved to their past set free. I see, I see dying people in their last hours die with peace. 
I see aimless people finding meaning, hurt people healed and extend forgiveness. I see broken marriages find healing. I see fearful people finding courage, rejected people finding community, discouraged people finding resolve. I am telling you, friends, I have seen this. And I know many of you have seen this. Have you seen this? Raise your hand if you have seen the power of the resurrection in the lives of people around you. I'm telling you, friends, the active power of the resurrection in the life in Jesus' life is changing lives, making things new, setting people free from their own evil and even the evil committed against them. Behold, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed, the new has come. Has this happened to you? Has this happened to you? What might Jesus want to redeem and resurrect in your own life? What sin, what area of shame, what broken relationship, what addiction, what struggle, what wound? might Jesus want to heal. Sometimes it can be very dramatic. I had a friend who was delivered from a heroin addiction almost overnight. Most often it's much less dramatic, but just as powerful. Recently I had a, one of my closest friends, Don, say to me, Corey, you've changed. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you're not nearly as anxious and annoying as, <laughs> as, as you normally have been. You're, you're not nearly as a control freak. And I said, well, oh, thanks. Um, and I'm telling you guys, I'm still far from complete. I mean, I mean honestly, I'm, I'm not, uh, seriously, I am sometimes astonished by the degree of my immaturity and pettiness and pride and envy and uh, fear. Um, but what I'm saying is this, is that I know that the power of the resurrection Jesus is at work in my life, making the dead places whole. And I know that he's doing that in you, and I know that he wants to do that in you. And so can you please stop your hiding and stop your pretending and stop your little moral religious church games? And would you actually come out and say to God, here is my guilt, here is my sin, here is my shame, here is my lust, here is my loss, here is my addiction, here is my fear, here is my broken marriage, here is my broken soul, here is my broken life. Make it whole, and I promise you, he will. Because this is the promise of Easter. The power of resurrection is available to you even today. So we've seen has, it's happened. We've seen is, it's happening. And finally will, it will happen. Look at verse one. This is actually an amazing verse that is easily missable. It says, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning. Now this is not just some throwaway comment. No writer like who is as brilliant as Luke, just writes little throwaway descriptors like this. Any good Jew who is reading this would immediately recognize that Luke is consciously mirroring the language of Genesis 1-3. The first day of creation, the first day of the week. What he's showing us is that Easter morning, he's signaling that it's not just about this one man rising from the dead, that right here in the middle of a graveyard, who would have thought it? God is beginning the work of a new creation. That this is not just new life for one man. It is new life for all the world. It is, God is resurrecting creation from the dead. He is bringing about a new heavens and new earth. He is and will one day renew all things. And it begins with the resurrection of Jesus. Because I dabble with the cello, I am a big sucker for cello stories. And have you heard? There's, there's not many, many cello stories. You're like, oh, I haven't heard all the cello stories. That's because there's only like three. But one of them... Uh, one of them is the story of the cellist of Sarajevo. I don't know if you know that story, but in the, it's, it, it happened during the siege of Sarajevo. This is true. In the 1990s, one of the most horrible sieges and violent acts of war of, of a government on its own people in modern history. Um, and during that siege of Sarajevo in 1992, there was a cellist from the Sarajevo Symphony named Vedran Smelovich. 
And he went every day, every day for many weeks, he took his cello and he walked out in the midst of the bombing, in the midst of the ruins, in the midst of the sniper fire. And he walked out and took his cello and set up a chair in the middle of a ruined building and he played. And he played the most glorious adagios. He played the most magnificent concertos. He played the best that he could play. And people mocked, people told him he was a fool, people told him he was an idiot, but it inspired that whole nation. In fact, it, it, it inspired novels, it inspired a movie. Why? Because he was acting, first of all, in protest against the violence of that society, and he became a sign of hope. He became a sign of hope to that whole society that one day music will play in Sarajevo. One day, children will walk the streets of Sarajevo. One day, a city will find wholeness again. He was playing music in a graveyard, friends. That's what he was doing. Friends, we live in a graveyard of a world. Just since we have gathered for Easter last year, just in 12 months' time, we've seen airports bombed, schools shot to pieces. We've seen the worst refugee crisis in history that is ongoing. Right now, men, women, boys, and girls at this very moment are running for their lives in Syria. We've seen our own society splinter racially and politically. We've seen our city torn apart by violence and murder. Among us here, we have seen, even in just one year, we've seen loved ones diagnosed with serious illnesses. We've seen families fall apart. We've seen children lost. We've seen loved ones die. We've seen bodies racked with pain, relationships broken, dreams shattered. And yet, here we are again, Easter morning, ringing a little bell. What are we doing? Are we delusional? Is this some pageantry of denial? What are we doing? On Easter morning, I tell you what we're doing. We are playing music in the ruins. That's what we're doing. We are playing, we are saying to anyone and all who will listen, first of all, a protest of hope against the violence of the world, and then we are acting as a sign of hope that this world will not end in a graveyard. That the darkness that we see in the world isn't the darkness that you see right before sunset. It is the darkness you see right before sunrise. That is what we're moving towards. We are moving towards that day when in, we see in the resurrected body of Jesus a preview of the future. We see in his body that now stands at the right hand of the Father as an anchor of hope for us. That death will be banished. Tears will be wiped away. Injustice will be made right. Sickness will be healed. Bodies will be stored. Death will be rolled back. Relationships will be made whole. And so what does that mean for us, friends? It means Christians are people who show up in the ruins We are people who persevere, and we will keep on striving and keep on mending broken bodies and standing against injustice and working for racial healing and advocating for the vulnerable and proclaiming the good news and working for the renewal of our city and all things. We play music in graveyards, friends, because that's what Christians do, because the dawn is coming. Hope is coming. And the resurrection of Jesus is a sign and a promise and a preview of the resurrection that will come. So hear this, friends. Has, is, will. The resurrection has happened. It is happening. It will happen in the days to come. Do you remember those old bracelets that were so uh, popular, those WWJD bracelets? I'm telling you, friends, I always had a problem with those bracelets. I saw there was a fundamental theological travesty in these bracelets, and I tried to tell everybody, but nobody listened. (laughs) This this bracelet, because nobody cares, (laughs) let's be honest. These bracelets... They forget the resurrection. What would Jesus do? As if Jesus is some dead exemplar of history who we have to somehow like conjure up and figure out what he might do in the present. 
So friends, I had developed a prototype for a new bracelet. This is how it goes. It's WDJD, a WIJD, a WWJD. This is, I know this is going to catch on, starting with you. What did Jesus do? And what is Jesus doing? And what will Jesus do? This is the truth of Easter, friends. I will hand these out after the service. I'm joking. I actually wanted to, but the order was too late. So I'm sorry. Um, all, seriously, friends, all seriousness, seriousness, silliness aside, we say this today. We say this today. Christ is alive. He is risen from the dead. This is a fact of history. The gospel is not good advice about how you should live. It is good news about what has happened. Death has been conquered. Sin is forgiven. He is alive today. He is bringing his resurrection power into the lives of men and women, boys and girls, all who believe and trust in him. It is available to you. And Jesus and the resurrection will come. He has promised to bring about a new creation. Has, is, will. Past, present, future. All of history contained in today. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and praise you for this glorious fact of history that changes everything in the present and the future if Jesus had not risen from the dead, we wouldn't even be here. We'd never even heard of that guy. He would just be like one of the many inspiring uh, rebellious leaders of ancient times who was crucified and we forget in the dust books of history. But Jesus walked from the grave and as a result, history is changed. Lives are changed. Communities are changed. Cities are changed. Civilizations are changed. History is changed because he walked out of the tomb. Help us to believe. I pray that if there are any today who do not, who have not yet known this resurrection power of Jesus in their own lives, that they would receive it today. Just simply say to him, Jesus, I need to be made new. I give you my sin. I give you my fears. I give you my wounds. I give you my past. Bring your resurrection power into my life and make me new. May, may there be some who would say that even today, Lord. And for all of us, may we live not, not as, as, as cynics in the world, who don't actually believe that, that anything is actually happening for good, but may we be people who are, are people of hope, playing music in the ruins of our world, believing that a day is coming when all things are made right. We believe these things and pray them in Jesus' name. Amen.